0: Hello, welcome to Whole Life Rising, a new podcast from inside the Whole Life Movement. Each episode, we will welcome a guest, discuss issues, and share stories from the front lines of whole life efforts to safeguard human life and dignity at all stages of life. I'm Robert Christian, the editor of the Whole Life Publication Millennial, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kristen Day, the Executive Director of Democrats for Life of America.
1: It is a real pleasure to be back here with my co-host, Robert. Good to see you, Robert.
0: Great to see you. Let's go ahead and get things started with our segment in the news. A lot has happened since our last show, um, since we ran into some technical problems that caused a delay. Apologies to our listeners for that. The big news, of course, was the 2020 election and then the subsequent insurrectionist attack on the Capitol. Kristen, what's your reaction to this attack on our democracy?
1: um I mean, it was just disgraceful you know i i worked in the capitol um, in all three house office buildings and spent a lot of time giving tours of that beautiful building so it was just disgraceful to see these this you know people coming and destroying this building that is such a um, it's a symbol of you know it's the people's house it's a symbol of our democracy so it was just really disappointing and Um, You know, just unbelievable but that this happened, and the loss of life is just a a real travesty. You know, the officer was laying in state yesterday and just so uh, unbelievably sad for his family. Um, It's just devastating. Um, And you know, and I just hope that our country can find some ways to get past this, um, past this just real hatred for one another. And I hope that we can find some unity under President Biden, where we can find ways to reconnect and work with each other instead of just taking the opposite position as someone because they're in one party or the other, or they support one candidate over another. So, you know, we, we I'm just hopeful for the future that we can find some unity over these next four years and how, you know, do what's right for the country.
0: I, I think it will forever remain a day of infamy One of the most shameful days in American history, really a a symbol of the destruction of vital democratic norms and the weakening of our democratic institutions. You know, the effort to steal the election shows that we're not immune from democratic backsliding. We're a normal country like other countries. And I think the top priority these next four years has to be rebuilding those democratic norms and institutions and fighting back against the toxic polarization, that blind partisanship that you're talking about, the cult of personality in politics, the mainstreaming of extremism, all these things that really present an existential threat to our republic. And we can only hope that this is a wake up call and that will kind of get our act together. So, you know, it was a dark day in American history, but maybe it will be a turning point. I mean, we can only hope. Yeah, I just
1: feel like, uh, you know, politics is just infecting every facet of our, our being, you know, it determines what restaurants you can go to or who you can be friends with. And it's just, yeah, such a sad, my, my son is a freshman in college right now, and he's finding it on the college level of you can only talk to certain people, And you can only be friends with certain people or you can't go to these events if it goes against what somebody else believes. So it's a real sad time. So I'm I'm hopeful. I I hope that was a turning point. It was a terrible day, Um, you know, and uh, I'm just hopeful for the future.
0: Now, let's move on to our question of the month. Our question this month is. What opportunities and challenges will whole life advocates likely have now that Joe Biden is in office?
1: I think there is a lot of opportunity that we have being whole life advocates. We're, we call ourselves pro-life for the whole life. So yes, we oppose abortion, but we also you know, are concerned about the treatment of immigrants. We're concerned about the environment. Well, we're concerned about a living wage for families. So I think there are a lot of opportunities that we have with the Biden administration to really look at ways that we can help working families, and you know. But our, our again, our biggest challenge right now is abortion, and the abortion lobby has a really like such control over the Biden administration that that's going to be our biggest challenge of really making sure that we find ways to change the discussion into not funding more abortion. But let's look at ways where we can look for uh, programs to help pregnant women with alternatives and have a choice to be a parent. So, I, I mean, there's opportunities, but the, the abortion one is just a, a huge concern for this administration.
0: Yeah, I agree. I see that as the big challenge as well. You know, I expect Joe Biden to do what he can to get the U.S. back on track in terms of climate action and reversing the widespread environmental deregulation that occurred under Trump. And of course, Bill Barr's execution spree has come to an end. And we can only hope that the response to the pandemic is going to be a lot better than it was during the Trump administration, where it was really a cataclysmic failure. Um, And I think there are early signs of this, too. What I'd love to see is if Joe Biden pushed for policies that would help pregnant women that would help children and vulnerable families and drive the abortion rate down and to actually make that a goal of his administration. I mean, we know that he would personally like to see that, right? Yes. The question is, would he say that out loud? And the first indications are not so promising, right?
1: No, not at all. With the overturning of the Mexico City policy, um, you know, that's not a good sign. And, you know, I think there'll be more to come. In eliminating some of the pro life executive orders that President Trump put into place. So I think we'll see all of those overturned. Um, I think the pro life Democrats need to be very vocal right now. They need to really let the Biden administration know that, you know, a lot of pro life Democrats voted for him and they voted for him with the understanding that there would not be an extreme abortion agenda. So the, uh, pro-life Democrats really need to let their voices be heard, and so the administration knows there there is pushback against this type of thing.
0: Right, and the fight over the Hyde Amendment could really be an important issue. Um, you know, I feel like there's still an opportunity for him to step away from the special interest groups to try to not launch sort of new culture war, crusades. Um, The question is, does he want to build a big tent party or is he okay with sort of the status quo, where the party's been heading?
1: If he does, if he does want to go, you know, keep veering toward the left, he's got to remember that it's 50-50 in the Senate. And he can only lose five votes in the House. So Mm -hmm. it's a very narrow margin. And that swing vote can swing both the House and the Senate to the Republicans, and so then he will be able to get nothing done the second two years. So he has to be very mindful of, you know, we, if we are a big tent, there are a lot of different views, in particular when, when we talk about abortion, and finding that, like we did with the, when we worked with the Obama administration, finding common ground of where we could work together for we passed the Pregnancy Assistance Fund where we got more support for pregnant women. So he needs to take that, that's politically smart for him to do, yep. to find this common ground and work with uh, you know, pro-life Democrats to, you know, to change this agenda away from abortion extremism and trying to fund more abortion to shifting it to let's reduce abortion through more support.
0: Yeah, and let's focus on those issues where people are voting for Democrats, right? Like on health care and on all these other issues that affect people's lives on a daily basis. And now for this month's interview, we're joined by Jeannie Gaffigan. Jeannie Gaffigan is a writer, director, producer, mother of five, best-selling author and philanthropist. She's also a great champion of human dignity and protecting life and the vulnerable. She recently wrote, human life is sacred and all humans have equal value. Of course, this means it is wrong to intentionally take a human life under any circumstances, but it's also wrong to disregard human life through racism, unjust social and economic structures, providing inadequate access to healthcare, wantonly harming harming the environment, abusing or neglecting anyone, a child, a mother, a father, a grandparent, and immigrants. I thought that was a wonderful articulation of the whole life mindset. We're so excited to have you on the show today, Jeannie. Uh, Thanks so much for being here.
2: Thank you so much. It sounds like I'm trying to to solve all the world's problems, but, uh, you know, one step at a time. Thank
1: you for having (laughs) me. Yes. Yes, that's why we had you on here today, because we expect you to solve all the world's problems today on this show. (laughs) No pressure. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so um, during the election, you wrote this, um, this article in American magazine, and it created quite a stir. Uh, you announced your intention to vote for Joe Biden, and you talked about how you reached this conclusion as a pro-life Catholic. Um, would you uh, like share what your thoughts were and speak about uh, you know what it was like when you when you put that article in and how it impacted you?
2: Well, I'd love to go back a little uh, what got me to that point, because that wasn't like uh, an easy decision for me. Because as may- maybe, you know, we've um, looked at the body of work that my husband and I have done for like a zillion years, yes, we're old, um, like we don't go there, right? We're like, okay, but we all like cake. We <laughs> all like cake. Let's just <laughs> forget about all this fighting and talk about bacon. Right, we all like except for people who don't eat bacon, but they like the soy bacon, which is also good. So, anyway, um, the whole thing is is that um, I there was uh, the Republican convention, which I was not watching because I'm I can't even tell you I people are texting me TV shows to watch all the time, and I'm like, what how, what world are you living in where I could like sit down My like, my mom like said, she's like, oh. They're doing a, you know, a documentary about mother Angelica right now. And I'm like, mom, I'm like, you know, so I don't really watch that machine. So I was in the woods as usual and my husband was like, yeah, Trump's going to speak. And I'm like, not interested. Right. So anyway, later on, uh, I got started getting like massive notifications on my phone that my phone was blowing up because. You know, ding, 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 because it was like nine thirty at night, and so I look on it, and like it turns out that apparently Jim is letting loose on the on the Twitter, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, your husband is going off on Twitter!" So like, what? Because I did, you know, we were in the same house, but not the same room, and I was not on Twitter. So anyway, I open up Twitter. And I only see one, so I thought it was just one F-bomb, right? <laughs> Which is like, never, never. I mean, it happens, but not in public, right? So I'm looking at this and it's all about what's happening, right? It's, it's like, my husband is like on like this major thing. So I, because I don't even know where he is, right? He's, you know, there's a TV downstairs and a TV upstairs. And so I just reply on Twitter, like, no cursing, right? Because I'm just like, because I, of course, like, I'm so embarrassed. Like, so, links for Irish embarrassed. Like, shut the curtain. The neighbors will see. The neighbors will see that we're not perfect. So, anyway, then, again, blowing up. Oh, da da, da Like, people, my friends are like, chicks. I open it up again and he's doing it again and he's going off on people and I don't even know what's going on. So I just reply, I'm like, well, I tried, you know, I'm not involved in that. So then later I like come in and I'm like, what are you doing the F-bomb on Twitter? And he's like furious, and he's like, these people are trying to say that, oh, you're not a good Catholic. You just, so he's like really mad. So anyway, that starts this whole thing where I like am now inserted into this thing. Cause I'm like, well, you know, cause I want to defend him, but I also don't want to defend the language and I don't know exactly what happened. And so this starts this whole dialogue on the internet. Cause remember I'm also isolated where suddenly there are people that are accusing me of being like an abortionist and like I'm murdering babies. And I'm like, where did this come from? because I'm not, I really believe that when you start giving your resume, you're insecure about something, right? So if someone says to me, you know, I'm in a meeting for a TV show and they say, well, Jeannie, you know, the way we usually do it is during the day, we shoot this way. If I say, I've been doing this for 15 years and (laughs) I was the executive producer, like that's, I've heard people do that and I'm sure I've done it in my, past but like when i hear it there's something about it that doesn't ring true like it's like that person has a has a defensive nature so i really was shocked at how many people were accusing me of like being like a baby killer for no reason at all so i started to kind of like engage in it a little bit like what do you mean like i don't you know i you, you, you don't, like, trump your baby? Like, I didn't really get it, right? So as this progressed, and I started, like, digging in and researching a little bit about where this, like, kind of blowback was coming from, and, like, how the, you know, most pro life president in history, and if you don't vote for him, you're anti-life or something. Where did that come from? So I started to kind of look into that, and I, look, I started to, you know, really see there was a very strong... Faction of Catholics that were going this way, and then there was another faction of Catholics that were going the other way, and that was kind of like Putting them in a position where they had to seem like they didn't care about abortion or whatever So essentially when I started to defend this position and saying like absolutely I am NOT voting for Trump ever and I absolutely disagree with that. I'm like I believe in the whole thing like if you're, if you care about on board child, you're not going to be separating children from the board. Like I'll get into it with you, right? So anyway, at a certain point, somebody reached out to me and I will not say who it was, but somebody reached out to me and said, listen, because it was kind of like, hey, you are kind of speaking for this other candidate. And I said, no, I'm not going in something for this other candidate. I'm saying no to this candidate, right? But as I got, a little bit more involved i realized how close this election was going to be mm-hmm. and i was like okay this is not like well i'm so good because i'm you know have i can walk away with this moral cleanliness because i'm just going to not vote or i'm going to vote for somebody who never win because i'll feel better but it could literally affect not in new york city but like in terms of like where i'm from wisconsin this kind okay. of thing so i am going to say listen i if my husband who is Catholic, by the way, and also would, you know, find abortion reprehensible, would say, listen, I think that this is a great right time for this country for somebody like Joe Biden, because he's, he is Catholic, but he's also a Democrat, so he'll people be who are not Catholic. And um, he, there's a chance, now this is right in retrospect, I don't know what's happening now, really, with the divi- divisive bipartisanship but he seemed like it was a proper person to be behind in terms of unification because the former president was absolutely opposite of that. This against, these are bad, this is good, you know, that kind of thing. So um, at that point I was like, okay, president is an existential threat to democracy, to unity, to solidarity, to every, everything I stand for. So Joe Biden is not some kind of like God who's gonna come in and like abolish all the laws I feel are unjust. What I wrote in that article was, this is like really, you know, difficult. I understand. So there was a part of me while I was writing an article that was kind of like, this is really generous of me to write the article because I understand. Why some people, my husband, but I don't know who he is, um, (laughs) would just be like, "Forget it." There's no like, I don't need to negotiate with the people who are are thinking this is okay. But I was like, I do, because Mm -hmm. there are good people who have been told by their priest or by their bishop or by some Catholic publication or Catholic group who's been, um, basically illegally, uh, campaigning for, uh, Trump, um, or Biden, you know, it's illegal, right? So they are good people who have just literally, they're afraid of going to hell. Honestly, their piece told them that they were literally going to go to hell if they vote for a Democrat. And that's what I take issue with because I felt like in terms of getting, okay. Put the abortion issue aside, because that's a whole different podcast, okay? But everything else, like, I could get behind, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe not, like, I, I don't really know about the euthanasia and all this stuff, but I'm saying, you know what I I stand for, right? Right. So, my whole uh MO is that the issue right now that we're facing is a matter of equality. There is a big Problem with equality and obviously solidarity, but a lot of the problem with the solidarity is that there is a school of thought that thinks that if you advocate for the rights of people who don't have uh, rights, and I'm uh, uh, remember aside from unborn babies, right? People who are born who don't have rights, that if you advocate for those people. Who don't have rights, that somehow you're against the unborn. And that's the problem. So, if people say to me on the day, you know, National Life Appreciation Day, the anniversary of Roe v. Wade, if they're like, why are you in the government showing up a sign that says abolish Roe v. Wade? And it's like, this is why. I'll tell you why. Because the people who are there have alienated me. They've insulted me, they've defamed my, I mean, I don't care because it's it's ridiculous. They've acted like I'm some kind of an evil pariah because I didn't vote for Donald Trump. And to me, that is a travesty that we've gotten to this point. So- Hmm,
0: Absolutely. So like you, I strongly back Joe Biden and I also saw Trump as an existential threat to American democracy. Do you think pro-lifers like us that back Biden have any responsibilities going forward in terms of trying to keep him accountable or trying to keep, make sure that he's focused on things that really affect people's lives rather than sort of starting new culture war battles?
2: Absolutely. And I'd love to hear from you, Robert, about like a specific thing. Like, are you talking about child separation? Are you talking about the stimulus to get the economy going? Health care reform? Like, specifically, what what would you say would be our responsibility? Yeah,
0: like, I mean, like I
2: think... Like a tangible action?
0: All, all of are those things.
2: Every uh, life issue that is uh, in our power to promote, which is all of them, we have a responsibility we have to make a voice for our group that shows that by supporting all of these issues it doesn't eliminate it does not eliminate the rights of the unborn and it's not only that but it's all interconnected it's all interconnected when you're finding microplastics in people's placentas and we're And you're a whole life, you know, person who's, uh, anti-abortion, but you could, you know, give a, a, a rat's patootie about the environment. You're not looking at the whole picture. So I think that that voice needs to be loud and clear. So like that, you don't have to choose here and that's, you know, like, look at Pope Francis, like Pope Francis is right on the same page and now I'm dealing with a situation where I won't, I don't want to name me. Okay. But just see if this rings true you, I will sign up for some social justice, like Catholic, you know, you know, defining racial justice in our parish, And I'll invite someone to it and they'll be like, Oh, that's so political. And I'm like, isn't it gospel based? Like no one's talking about voting or anything like that, but I'm being political by inviting me to a racial justice in our Catholic church thing. So I'm sure, Kristen, if you have a Black Lives Matter pro-life, you know, like how can we make Black Lives Matter all Black lives, right? So how can we take care of women who are thinking of starting a family? How can we, you know, uh, uh, push the uh, uh health care, how can we push the um, environment, how can we push the um, equal opportunity, childcare. Child care is a big thing. Mm-hmm. that most of the women most of the people who lost jobs were women. There was a huge right. loss of jobs for women because we had to take care of our kids, right? So where's that? You know, that's something that we would we have to demand from the Biden. So if if people are going in to work and they know that if they're pregnant they're gonna lose their job or they're not you know it's like think about that. That's polite. It's not it's not like saying like we're not gonna do anything to take care of people who are struggling with these decisions, but we're gonna say, you know, you're a horrible person to participate in this culture of death. Like what what are we doing? So yes. I oh, I
1: agree 100% with you on that. Um, I-, I
2: think something like you know, oh, to like just randomly, when Joe Biden and uh, 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 Kamala Harris put out some kind of like really anti-life, like abortion thing, all these people started like making comments on my Twitter, like, "See, they're killing babies right and left. You have blood on your hands." And I'm like quiet, ignore, mute, right? Because very easily you could do, if you wanted to just fight, you could say, what about the blood that you have on your hands with the skyrocketing abortions that went up with Donald Trump? What about the skyrocketing uh, unemployment that caused people to have abortions? You know, it's like, you have blood on your hands. Like, you can do that a million times and, and it doesn't get anywhere. So, essentially... All of these things, including the environment, and I know I brought up the microplastics, but it's like, including the environment, including, uh, you know, obviously healthcare, housing, education, they're all interconnected. We're in a culture right now where there's executions, there's abortions, there's, you know, and so the thing is, is that what are we going to do to move forward and evolve and have some progress? In
1: this area? Yeah, I think we have some very good opportunities uh, right now because there is such a people on this side and people on this side, and there's a big empty space in the middle that Democrats for Life can fill. It's because we think about the big picture and we look at, okay, so these, you know, there's a six week heartbeat bill being passed in South Carolina right now, and then there's an abortion extremism bill. In New Jersey that they're trying to make abortion legal till nine months. But, but what both states are overlooking is that there are obstacles for women to choose birth and neither state is addressing those obstacles and looking to support and, and provide this um, assistance to a pregnant woman who finds herself uh, without any support. And so I think that's what at Democrats for Life, which we're poised to do is to say, let's change the conversation and look at compassion, look at what we can do. And you talked about, you know, pe- women who get pregnant, that they're going to lose their jobs um, because they don't have any time off. Uh, so they go have, have an abortion instead. Uh, so I think there's a lot in this area that we can do. And I, I'm hopeful that the Biden administration will work with us to really promote this third, third option of, we don't have to say make abortion illegal or keep abortion legal. You know, like let's work toward reducing abortion and let's give women opportunity um, for the future. So I do think I'm very I'm, I'm hopeful on that point. I think I think there is a lot we can do. But, um, you know, speaking of kids, so you're the mother of five and uh, I'm the mother of three. So I can't imagine two more. So that must be a, a, a fun household. <laughs> um, so what, have, what has your experience been as a mother of five and how is it involved in your writing and producing and everything else you've been involved with? How has that shaped how you think and um, the importance of family?
2: Well, you know, it's like the importance of family uh, was probably the most obvious to me when I got really sick and had the brings So, you know, and I just took it for granted. But then when I, was you know a death door and it looked like what's gonna happen if I die right and it was like Jim if we didn't have this support group because Jim was like I could I could never like he'd have to retire right but my family was just like no matter how long he's laid out we're gonna you can do your thing because you know doing comedy makes him happy and makes yeah. money right so it's like my siblings, I was not, I didn't even talk. I was uh, in the, you know, I had the craniotomy and I had the machine and like, I saw this happen. And I saw that I, we have this like safety net. Now this can also happen if you have three kids or two. You know, yeah. I think that, and some people, you know, I don't want to, you know, alienate people who, cause I, I have. Uh, experience as well myself with infertility you know things so family is like if you don't have one of your own you find yourself a family that will adopt you if you look at the world so divisive so many people's families breaking up so many people saying you voted for this guy so i'm out right with your like you know whole life agenda if everybody believes that your little peanut at six weeks was exactly the same as your little peanut in the crib or your little peanut driving the car, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they would just get it, right? Mm-hmm. But they don't, right? So, because it's it got it all twisted up with rice and healthcare and all this stuff. And I understand that. And I'm willing to have dialogue with people and I'm not willing to demonize people. I wanna have uh, a lot of dialogue with people who are really adamant about no this is my body whatever because i i will like i will dialogue with you about that i i love you i understand you and i will listen to you and i will tell you my piece because i'm not going to say you're this or that and you're not going to say i'm just that and we'll never talk. so what can we teach the kids and i'm not talking about sitting in the classroom saying this is right and this is wrong i'm talking about taking kids out to social justice service projects, and let them live it. Let them live it. And I'm going to tell you. Do I have time to tell you one story? Sure. Okay, do one okay. more. <laughs> let me tell you one story because this story, I'm a storyteller, and this is a real, true story. And these are the things that root us in our convictions and our passions and our beliefs. So, essentially, I felt like. Let's go to this age group, post confirmation, and start a youth group just like the Protestants do and have it be social focus on Catholic social teaching. So I went to my pastor at the time and he was like, love it, got some other moms, did some you know, uh things, made it all come from here some issues in our community. Let's what do you want to do with this? And then they would have ideas and they have a whiteboard. And then we were like, okay, how much money do we need to raise? And they were like in the board meeting and they loved it, right? So we started doing this project. We also took over this project that my uh somebody abandoned because they moved away, where you know, you hang the the little ornaments and you come into church and it has the name of the baby on it and the mom and you buy a gift for that person, you know, you take the thing home and it was at our church. So I was like, We want to help with this thing. Who is in charge? And the pastor's like, you are, because the person just left. And i was like, okay, where is this where is where are the gifts going? So that Holy Spirit started um me on this path with this relationship with this women's shelter. Okay. Where the there's like thirty women who fed for who are homeless and they have to either be pregnant or have a baby uh up until thirty. So and it's, a, it's like parenting, training, you know, job, home, you know, you right. it's a, center, yep. a health center. So this is how this Christmas thing started. So over the past like few years, we've built up this really, you know, symbiotic relationship where we find things that they need, and they, uh, they give oh. us uh, notes, and it's wonderful. It's, it's great. Incredible. One of the young women in the shelter goes into labor. Now, there was nobody that was available to go to the hospital with this young woman, who must have been a few years older than the teenager girl who was at the door. Oh my she goodness. She's never seen anything like this before in her life, right? <laughs> but the, girl, the woman has to get in a taxi by herself. Oh, jeez. Right? And that night, or the next meeting, we had we have zoom meetings right with this beautiful so she and the mom both crying like this woman had no family she had nobody so we were like what can we do so we decided that we were going to find out what the baby's name was and we were going to make a basket with all these like personalized, like you would do for your uh, aunt, yeah. or, you know, your sister, somebody, like nice stuff. So we made this gorgeous basket. So we did the shower and it was like, it felt, the kids felt like they were doing something. So they wrote notes, you're going to be so courageous to do this. Your baby has so many, you know, if this, if this is such a hard time to have a baby, but, and then to the baby, like, you oh. so anyway... So this now has become a thing. So we've done like ten of these now. Wow. So, yeah. So, so wonderful. So to me, that is way better than being like, hey, we're all meeting to protest in front of a planned parenthood. Yeah. Yes. It's a deeply rooted experience that means something and it's action and it's education. But it's it's like it's a beautiful thing. And I really feel like this is teaching, even though you're not saying it to the kids, what they're doing, they're living it. So they understand mm. what's happening. And these are like 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids who are now going to be going into the world with a different look on this and a different experience of they give into the situation. to you understand? Without this sort of like divisive, like everyone can get involved Nobody yes. would say, oh, I'm sorry, I, that's too political to, to give a hospital <laughs> to a baby. Nobody would say that. So I think that it's the youth, because this is not an idea that came out of Jeannie Gaffer's brain or some rule book. Because they're not political issues. They're human issues. They're life issues. And they're real. Issues. So it's like... Sure, it might feel good to say I voted for Donald Trump because uh, a nun told me he was the most pro life candidate in history, so I feel good about myself. But what's really important is that we connect, it's not political, it's not the candidate. It's like, no matter who is the president, what are you doing to really engage with the culture? Even that's the thing that we can really engage young people with, life is beautiful. The, the grandma that we're protecting from you giving up the school play, you have to give up your school play. But you know what? There was some grandma that was going to go to that play that might have gotten COVID who had a good 10 years of grandma left in her that got sick because you didn't wear a mask. You know, all of this stuff we can just want. It's like life is beautiful. Even if somebody only had a year left to live,
1: that year, should be valued yeah i love that i love that story that's beautiful i i think actually doing something to help somebody and make a difference has such an impact on those involved in the process both on the receiving and giving end. so i I just i love that story
0: before we wrap up i wanted to squeeze in one question about the jim gaffigan show because i'm kind of a, a comedy nerd a sitcom nerd so i wanted to ask about it um, I thought the show was great. I thought it was so unique and just getting better and better as it was going on. But I also know that was just a ton of work and probably a crazy time in your life. <laughs> when you look back at the show, like what do you think about that experience? Do you look back fondly at that time? You
2: know what, luckily I really do. I I look back really fondly at that time. Um, it was a heartbreaking decision. It's still the a I had the conversation, we had to puzzle, you know, the network because we had to make a decision, you know what I mean? Like you we were offered, and then you have a window to like pay the commitment. And so the thing is, um, it taught me a lot about myself, and I agree. I feel like we we're in season five right now, we do like you know the enemies, like because it was like we just had so much uh fun and so much freedom on the show and we really liked uh, making uh, work for New York and making work for mediums and getting everyone in there. Um, but the whole thing was is that because we had to protect our story, because it was Jim and Jeannie, you guys, right? So you mm-hmm. can't just be like, right now we got our ruling, we get five writers, we show up once a week. Like, you can't do that when you are like, life. Especially when you're Catholic. Because um un- un- to a lot of Catholic Twitter, not everybody is Catholic and they don't get it. And some people are like, I was raised Catholic and you don't want those people writing the show, right? Mm-hmm. Because then all of a sudden the priest is a pedophile and there's all someone stealing you know mean? people have issues, right? So we had to control the show. And when you're controlling the show and writing the episode uh, you're one of you is in every single seat practically, and you're. It's like a you know, it's like an 80, 80 an hour job, and you have five kids, and the story is about your life, right? So at a certain point, you got to live your life to get the stories. So when our hiatus period was, we weren't shooting, we were writing or going on tour for stand-up. and it was just like we saw that it could, we had to make a choice between doing an excellent show or raising excellent kids ourselves. So by the same reason, you don't want to farm out your show to people who might not get the tone. You don't want to farm out your kids to someone who might not get the tone. And the opportunity didn't present itself. We looked for the opportunity and prayed about the opportunity of having someone come in and like, step in for one of us. Like, obviously, it would be me because Jim is Jim Gavin and he's in the show, but maybe someone to show the showrunner, maybe somebody to be he a head writer, maybe somebody you know, they got me and my tone. And we tried, and Jim was not comfortable with that happening because it's like kind of like the home. It's like if. You know, you have kids, and you go look. I gotta take a hiatus for my kids. Who's gonna raise them? That opportunity, Mary Poppins did not show up, right? Yes. Even though it was free. So the Mary Poppins and the Jim Carrey show, and the Mary Poppins and the Gaffney life did not show up. So one of them had to go, and family won.
1: So earlier, earlier, you shared the story about your uh, your you being diagnosed with a brain tumor. Uh, that was the size of a pear, and you took that into one of your many talents, too, is writing, producing. You have a lot of talents. Um, but you wrote a book, When Life Gives You Pears, The Healing Power of Family, Faith, and Funny People. Uh, can you talk about what the, what was that experience like writing the book? And for those, for anybody out there, please buy and read it. It's a great read.
2: Thank you so much. Um, I think that I started writing the book, because I needed to kind of make sense of what had just happened. So the book isn't really written, like, very eloquently. It's more of, like, kind of a blog or a diary. Like, if you if, if you read it, it's very, like, kind of like, hey, doesn't it suck to have a brain tumor? Like, that kind of thing. <laughs> but I, I remember when... Um, I think that what happened was that I'm so not, like, uh you know, Dropping names or anything like that because it's it's silly. But I think that when at a certain point when I got out of the hospital, Jim, uh posted a an Instagram, and I think nobody really knew what was going on because we didn't. You know, we only told it was an emergency, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so then I think that somehow like People Magazine got involved and wanted to, to say what happened. They like, called the publicist or whatever. So I remember that getting on the at some point like having someone ask me what happened and I was like I literally have no idea what happened I had brain surgery like that's what I'm thinking I'm like so as I started to recover I started to sort of write down things because I realized that I had just been through this really crazy thing and when I was first getting um scanned before I went home I remember dealing with it in kind of a funny way. So I'd come out of the MRI or out of the CAT scan and I, and Jim would be like, are you okay? And I'd be like, write this down. Like, write this down. The cat, Like all these thoughts I had in the cat, CAT scan of like, what is it like to be in this CAT scan? Like, it's funny, but it's horrible. But it's like, that's how I felt. And said like a zillion hail marys. So, <laughs> I started to write these notes down and then eventually, you know, I, before this, I was writing a book about uh, being a mom of five, right? Because people were, were, how do you travel all over the world with five kids? And I had this whole thing with Ziploc bags. and things. So I was doing this kind of like laundry, I it the laundry room book. Like I feel the heart of the house is the laundry room, right? But you have to have a laundry room. you have a little apartment, it's a closet, make it the laundry room. The laundry room is the heart of the house. Like, funny, right? Yeah. so I was reading this kind of thing. So at a certain point, though, our, my book agent has been friends, I mean, I've been friends for years and years and years, because it's like way back to Dennis set, I was sort of, side and, um, he just like, called me to get some, you know, hold the phone up, hi, how are you? You know, oh, thanks for calling. And I guess I said to him, I'm sorry, I am working on the laundry room book and he was like, There's no laundry room book in from TV. He's like, We don't want he said, You want the brain to live. That's what we want. And I was like, Well, I don't I don't even know what happened. So I there was a thought of a book someday, but I was just writing down the sticks. So there were literally parts of the book and yes you should buy it because um, you know, I guess that's why you do podcasts, which you say buy my book? But um <laughs> But anyway, there are like direct translations in the book of very weird poems that I wrote. There's a poem called, I'm a ghost, where I felt like I wasn't a human anymore. And I was just this thing that people were walking around because I was like, I couldn't enter, I couldn't kiss anyone, I couldn't eat. It was so weird. And, uh, you know, it was a journey. And I think that when I was diagnosed, I just wanted to read a book from someone who had like a massive brain tumor and survived. It was (laughs) funny. And there was no book. So I decided to write a book. (laughs) When life gives you kids, Available anywhere books are sold.
1: Yes. So go out and get it today. (laughs) Great. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. This was really fun and um yeah, we look forward to more to come, Jeannie.
0: Our next segment is On the Ground and on the Hill, where we talk about whole life grassroots activism, campaigning, and legislative efforts. So let's look back on those 2020 elections. How did pro-life Democrats do in 2020?
1: Well, we had some. We we had we endorsed 120 candidates. We had 80 victories, which was very exciting, and we have been really communicating with these pro life Democrats. They're amazing. This is something new that we haven't done before. in the past, we've only endorsed federal candidates, so this was the first year our candidate recruitment committee went out and we found these pro life Democrats and, and we endorsed them. And they're out speaking, you know, in the heartland. In the East Coast and the West Coast, they're speaking for us. So it's very exciting to see um, these pro-life Democrats out there who are in office and, uh, and fighting for us.
0: And were there particular candidates that stood out in terms of their whole life views who were able to win?
1: Yeah, so uh, one, Monica Sparks, who joined our board. She's a city councilwoman in, uh, in Michigan. And she was one that really... Uh, is just incredible, and in, um, in her whole life view, um, we have Katrina Jackson from New Orleans, Louisiana, who again just incredible. Uh, Angie Hatton from Kentucky, uh, she won in a district that was it went 80 percent for Trump, and she's a strong yeah. whole life advocate. And she spoke at the March for Life this year, which was really exciting to see her. So she's just amazing. Uh, love to see her someday. Think of you know coming to Washington. Um, and, and representing us here she's quite amazing so a lot of a lot of uh, really um, exciting candidates out there now that we're looking at we have we're looking at races in Massachusetts so a special election for a house seat and the um, New Jersey and Virginia are both uh, up for reelection election uh, this, this fall so keep keep watching for more candidates that we are endorsing supporting and watch them win
0: great What about with Prop 115 in Colorado? What happened there and why?
1: Yeah, that is one of the, uh, as a pro-life community, one of the things that we face, the big problems we face is the money, the money of the abortion lobby. So we were poised to win. We were ahead when they first did the polling. But uh, Planned Parenthood and the abortion lobby outspent us 10 to 1. And we're able to just get their misinformation campaign out there. Uh, just lying about what the proposal actually did, because it would only it would ban abortion after 22 weeks, and they just made it seem like it was going to ban abortion completely, and um, and just did this uh, terrible misinformation campaign. So yeah, it was disappointing to see that loss. Uh, we did have a ballot initiative in Louisiana that won the Love Life Amendment, sponsored by Katrina Jackson. So that was a, a victory there. Uh, but we're just learning, you know, use what we learned in, in Colorado. And I think when we're fighting another battle in another state, we just really need to focus on raising the funds to fight back against the abortion lobby. It's critical. We need to hit them um, back as hard as they're hitting us when it comes to, we need to get the truth out there to fight their misinformation campaign.
0: Right, money's so important. Mm-hmm.
1: Unfortunately.
0: <laughs> we need campaign finance reform, right? Yeah, absolutely. So looking forward, is there any legislation across the country we should be keeping a close eye on? Yeah, there is.
1: There are quite a number of states. I mean, this is where all the action is on the abortion legislation. Hyde is the biggest thing on the federal level. But when you look at the states, there's a lot going on. When you look at New Jersey has a terrible bill that they're pushing right now that would um, allow abortion up to nine months. They're kind of following the New Jersey, Virginia track of eliminating abortion regulation you know, making things easier for human traffickers to bring people from out of state to get free abortions for their victims and then send them back out. Um, and so we're, our New Jersey chapter was fighting about, uh, fighting back about against that, and we've had some good discussions with people on the ground there to try to, again, change the discussion and say, what, what is this bill exactly trying to do? And is there something better we can do instead of this bill? Uh, so mm-hmm. we're, they're doing a good job of getting that message out there. We've been doing a Twitter day once a week, doing a Twitter day and getting some attention there. Um, there's also a in South Carolina, there's a uh, heartbeat bill that's being pushed there. No, passed the Senate, it's expected to pass the House and the governor will sign it into law. Uh, and so, and there's a constitutional amendment in Kansas. So there's a lot of action on the state level right now. So if look look in, look into your states and and see what's going on and support or oppose. The legislation that's happening in your state,
0: and and what about with the death penalty? Is Virginia on the precipice of getting rid of it? Yeah, so
1: Virginia is my home state, so that's quite exciting to see that you know to eliminate the death penalty, and that's something there's a bill uh, on the and the federal level too introduced by Dick Durbin and um, Congresswoman Presley, so I think that's a good thing too. That I think that's another thing that the Biden administration can do is eliminate the death death penalty on a federal level and to see states doing that as well is is a good thing.
0: Yeah, it's encouraging. Mm-hmm. Thank you, everyone, for listening to our second show. Whole Life Rising is brought to you by Democrats for Life of America and Millennial. We want to thank Democrats for Life for taking the lead in fundraising for the show. If you'd like to make a contribution to ensure the long term viability of the show, please visit the Democrats for Life homepage or our show notes. And please subscribe to the podcast and give it a good review if you'd like to hear more. Thank you.
1: Yes, thank you, everybody. Tune back next month.